Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And Mayu is not with us here today. He is actually on vacation, uh, enjoying the night. It's nice weather here in Toronto, too. So I don't know why he decided to go on vacation now. But uh, he's enjoying himself with his wife. Uh, much needed break on his side since he's been super busy. I'm still keeping him busy. I'm still messaging him. He's still responding to me. So all is good. Uh, That's the cool thing about entrepreneurship. You can work while you're on the go. If you guys hear a bit of scratching in the background, that's just my puppy. He's uh, acting up a bit. Uh, We're filming this in the washroom right now because we live in a small little condo and my girlfriend has a meeting. So when that happens, I got to jump here and do my recordings. Anyways, um, going to make this preamble a little bit more shorter. Just some updates on my end on what's going on. We keep on talking about the refinance of my eight unit and that getting approved. But now I was finally able to get my mortgage rates. If you guys follow me on Instagram, it's no surprise. You probably already saw what mortgage, uh, what the mortgage rates are in uh, at least the commercial side or the credit union side for multi-residential buildings. Um, For a three-year fixed term, I will be paying... Around 6.5% in interest. So quite significant because in February, it was down to like 3 or 4% for credit unions. Fortunately enough, that hasn't impacted my loan-to-value or borrowing capacity. But I know for a lot of multifamily investors, especially some of those in bigger cities, specifically like in, in Cambridge, Waterloo, uh, maybe even in Hamilton, when they're refinancing their multifamily properties, a lot of the time they cannot even get up to 75% loan to value. And the reason being is because the debt coverage ratio is, is so bad because the debt coverage ratio needs to be 1.2. That's how a lot of these lenders loan on multifamily buildings, um, or at least 1.2 from what I've been told or from, with the banks that I've been speaking with. But that is heavily dictated on current interest rates, right? So when your interest rates go up, theoretically, your loan to value in the property goes down because it's harder to meet that debt coverage ratio. Very interesting thing. So like, I I recommend if you guys are looking to get into the multifamily space or you're already investing in the multifamily space, pay attention to interest rates. Make some educated guess and forecast on where you think interest rates are going to go because that's going to impact your your debt service ratio, and ultimately how much money you can pull out of a refi. A couple of investors I've been speaking with, they were expecting 75% loan-to-value loans, but now they're only able to pull out around 50 to 60% loan-to-value just because of where interest rates are. I've been also taking a look at other multifamily buildings around Ontario, and it's hard for me to make sense out of them just because cap rates are so compressed. They're still selling at four to five caps a lot of the time, and your interest rate for these multifamily buildings would be six, seven percent, right? And probably closer to eight or nine percent by the end of the year if they keep on hiking rates the way they're doing now and the way that they're projecting. So the numbers doesn't really make sense in my point of view in Ontario uh, as much as it did before. So there might be other opportunities in other provinces or in other countries. Uh, Going to be taking a look there. Anyways, that's kind of what I've been up to. Oh, last like shameless plug. Since Mayu's not here, I'll talk about it a bit more. So he's not here to cut me off. I have a wholesaling course. So for those who are interested in 
breaking into the wholesaling industry or even just learning on how to negotiate and speak with sellers and source their own off-market deals. Because let's be real, typically your off-market deals are going to be the best sort of deals that you're going to get. They're going to have the most juiciest numbers. You're going to get the best terms on off-market deals because you're dealing with motivated sellers. If that's something that piques your interest and you want to learn more about it, there's going to be a link in the description below to get in the course. It's I think when looking at competitors, it's actually a pretty reasonable price. And the time of the course, it's about eight hours long. So it's about two times longer than most of the other courses on wholesaling that I've been seeing. But uh, myself, I will be talking about dispositions, analysis, uh, building a team in the course. And John, who works at Fast Ontario Homebuyer, is our top performing acquisitions uh, rep. He's made over a million dollars in assignment fees in less than a year. He's going to be talking all about the acquisition side. So I can't think of any other uh, wholesaler in Ontario that has shown the amount of success that John has in such a short period of time. So he gives a ton of golden nuggets. Uh, feedback for the course has been fantastic so far. I'm, an, I'm not I'm going to be uh, done with my shameless plug here anyway. Link below if you guys are interested in registering. And we're going to jump straight into the podcast episode today. Today, we have a very special guest, Ron. Ron has been investing in real estate for seven years as a land surveyor in Ontario and is eventually going to be going into real estate investing full-time. He's grown 36 rental unit portfolio over seven years, a lot of which has been acquired in the recent years where he's definitely stepped up his game and scaled very aggressively. And he has no signs of slowing down. He started investing in Oshawa, moving to Windsor, and most recently has been growing a large portfolio out in Cornwall. In this episode, we're going to be diving into the numbers of investing in Cornwall, the fundamentals, why he thinks it's a good investment opportunity, and how he was able to build a team long distance there because he lives in Durham, actually. It's going to be an amazing episode. We dive into a ton of different topics. You really don't want to miss this one out. Tune in. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our special guest, uh, Haran. Haran, how's everything going, man? Good. How are you guys? Doing good, Aron. And for, for anyone that's listening to this and wondering why Austin's audio is so terrible, Austin's basically fucked up his mic again a second round. Um, so, Haran, for, for anyone that doesn't know you, why don't you kind of give our audience a quick kind of rundown on yourself, um, your investment journey today, how you got started, and, and so on. Sure. I graduated from Ryerson University back in 2010. I have a civil engineering degree. I uh, immediately worked, uh, started my full-time job in the corporate world back in 2010. So I've been land surveying for about 12 years now. I got my license as a Ontario land surveyor back in 2013. So nine years. I had to revisit that actually, because I thought it was seven, but these COVID years really threw it off. So it's actually nine. And then I looked into becoming a real estate agent as well. That kind of just fell into place because we were looking at properties uh, to invest back in 2015 and I had a real estate agent and I was watching him do like what he needed to do on, on the computer. And I'm like, man, whatever he's doing, I could do it in two minutes and he's taking half an hour. Mm. So I looked into getting my real estate license and it turns out that a lot of courses that is required to get your realtor license, I already had it as part of my land surveying license. So it was a very easy transition for me. Also, given the fact that like land surveying has to do with land and then, you know, it just became kind of like a, a good combination to get into. And then I also started investing back in 2015. The main reason why I started investing actually is because I was sitting at my parents' house one day and just talking to my dad. I'm like, dad, what's your, what's your retirement plan? 
It's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't. It's a very common kind of immigrant response, right? It's just like, oh, my kids in my house. <laughs> Pretty much, right? And he's like, this house. And I'm like, okay, so let's just, let's just break everything down. How much is this house going to be worth in like 10 years? Because that's pretty much when you'll be done working. That's a best case scenario, maybe 2 million. But like, let's say worst case, maybe a million or less, right? That money is going to run out really quick. And that's not even counting like everything that's going on right now with inflation and all this craziness. So I asked him, I'm like, do you want to invest in a property? And he's like, yeah. My dad's always been supportive of like decisions that I make. And like, if I bring or I propose something to him, he's always like, yeah, do it. Or yeah, I'll do it with you. Right. So we bought a single family home in Oshawa back in 2015. Uh, it was like a four bedroom, three bath for 360. And is this like South Oshawa or was it like a new build? This is North Oshawa, a new build in, in a very up and coming area. Um, and this is like, pretty much right after I got my realtor license. So I started studying Durham region because that's where we lived at the time. And I saw that Durham region was actually like the most underpriced area in all of the GTA. It was a legger for a very long time up until just uh, last year or two years. It's really kind of caught up now, but you know, it was always a couple hundred thousand lower than everywhere else up until two years ago. So I bought that house. Um, and back then you can put down 5% to buy a house put down eight, eight and a half grand. He put down eight and a half on top of that. I got like a commission off the purchase because I was the, the buying agent. So it ended up costing us like peanuts. Right. And then this past, uh, last summer we sold it, we sold it for like eight sixty. So, you know, you turn mm-hmm. that eight and a half grand or less to like 500,000 and in the span of seven years, which is, you know, that's just the power of real estate. Right. And it was a new build, so almost no maintenance or headache with that property, right? Just tenanted and good to go. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Uh, we, we had our share of like annoying tenants. We replaced the AC, but nothing too big, obviously, like roof or anything else. Structurally, it was all good, just minor stuff for sure. Uh, the problem with that house was I was bleeding every month, right? Because the rent that was coming in was not sufficient enough for the expenses in the mortgage. So I started researching more into investment properties that's going to cash flow. Eventually, um, went into Windsor, bought another single family there, and then kind of took a hiatus of like a year. But then right before COVID hit, I, I asked my dad, I'm like, hey, let's, let's get some more properties. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So we started looking at Windsor again. And literally, as soon as we started looking, COVID hit. Hmm. Um, and we bought a duplex like a month after COVID hit. We were like the, the one and only showing for that duplex. So we got a pretty good deal. It was cash flow in like 500 a month. And then from there, I noticed that like Windsor has a crazy influx of investors such as you guys, <laughs> but it was very flooded, right? With investors. So you're kind of almost doing bidding wars with investors. So we pivoted and we started going into Eastern Ontario, uh, Cornwall specifically. We started focusing on that. And the reason why I chose Cornwall is because um, as part of my land serving career, I was doing a lot of uh, ministry of transportation jobs out in Cornwall. And every time I stayed in Cornwall, there's no vacancy. Like all the hotels are booked up. There's almost zero to none Airbnbs. So it was, and then I was looking at the house prices and single family homes back then were going for like a hundred, 150 grand. Right. So looked at the rental market, did a bit of research there and it all made sense. The numbers worked out really well. So I got my dad together with my brother-in-law and, and we said, Hey, let's, let's team up, form an investment company, refi all of our houses and just 
you know, go heavy in this. So that's what we did. Uh, and that was about two and a half years ago. And we've been going pretty aggressive ever since to a point now where I have a pretty sizable portfolio. So it's been a crazy journey. And on top of that, like during that whole thing, I had two kids born. So I have a three and a half and a one and a half year old. So it's been, it's been nuts. <laughs> that, that was definitely a really good background on yourself. And I feel like you went really well in depth on that. I want to quickly touch on one thing, which is just, she said it very early on, very lightly, but it's just like, what is a land surveyor? What do you do? And did you find that skill to be useful in your real estate investing? Absolutely. So land surveying, uh, they're the guys that go out. Uh, it almost looks like a radar gun. They're looking through what's called a total station or theodolite is what they used to call it back in the day. And what you're doing is you're marking out the boundary limits, right? Basically, nothing in Ontario can get built unless you have a land survey, whether it's going to be a house, a building, a road, railway tracks, whatever it is, the surveyors are the first to set foot on that land They mark out whatever you want to basically mark out, whether it's going to be like a parcel of land that you want to develop, you'll create the limits, submit a plan, deposit it, and then you have what's called a pin, a prop identification. And then from there, you can take that land and kind of build whatever you want based on the zoning, right? So zoning plays a big part too with land surveying. Yeah, that's essentially what it is. Uh, And it helped my real estate journey because when I'm looking at properties, I already have like the land surveying, uh, I guess, background in my head playing. So I'm looking at like Things that could there be a possible easement through here, like a Mm -hmm. sewer going through the backyard, or I see some hydro lines in the back. What's the easement on that? Or what's the setback limit for these hydro lines in the back? So you kind of look at properties in a different manner, which really helped for investing. Because if I'm looking at large lots, I always look at, can I sever this? Is it going to be landlocked? You know, things like that. So it's definitely, it's helped me a lot. And it's a different way of looking at any parcel of land. Yeah, so I guess it really it helps you kind of identify highest and best use maybe in properties that some people might overlook. Um, and if you understand zoning really well and, and stuff like that. So it seems like it's kind okay, it's not like an architect, but like you're you're you you've got definitely a, a leg up, I think. And I'm sure being a realtor also helps you. When you went out to Cornwall, because I think you explained really well why you guys got started in Oshawa and then and then how Windsor went as well. Um, when you went out to Cornwall, what was the strategy that you guys were doing out there? Uh, buy and holds. Uh, like single family buy and holds, duplexes or? Uh, mo- mostly multifamily. We got into one single family. Actually, I have a couple of townhouses there too, which I picked up for, for nothing. So it, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense anymore for single families in Cornwall because you run into the same problem I ran into in Oshawa where like the cash flow is not there if it's just a single family. So we've kind of pivoted and we're mostly multifamily in Cornwall right now. Um, and that's, pretty much what our focus was initially when we got in just because of that experience I had with Oshawa. I was like, let's just get into the multifamily so that, you know, we're always cash flowing. Mm. I'm just interested. So are you investing long distance? So you're not in Cornwall, I assume, right? You're probably living, you're still living in Durham. I'm in Durham region. Yeah. I'm in Whitby. Let's talk about the systems of investing um, long distance, like especially somewhere like Cornwall. Um, how did you go about kind of scaling your team, building up there, like contractors, finding out which realtor to work with, or did you search things yourself? Let's let's chat about that a bit because uh, a lot of people feel like they need to invest in their backyard, which is not necessarily true. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so with a realtor, I actually didn't need to find one because I was I was the realtor, right? 
Um, and I've already did, I already did investment properties in Durham. I, I helped a couple of friends and family members buy investment properties too. So I was already kind of like, that was my niche investment property. So I knew how to kind of analyze the properties, which made it a, a little bit easy. However, the hardest thing, and people underestimate this like crazy is finding a good contractor. We ran into major issues finding the contractor, you know, and in small towns, it's even harder because you're so limited to who you could pick. Right. I mean, with the GTA, you got sites like Homestars where you can just go and look at reviews and say, OK, well, let's get quotes from these top three contractors. Let's see how, how it works out. Where, whereas in Cornwall, it's like. People out there don't have Homestars. They're not on there. They don't they don't even have like their business, not even mm-hmm. on Google for you to look at their reviews. Right. So. And it's a very like tightly knit city. And, and, you know, we started out with a contractor. He did really well on our first rental, but then we kind of found out that he was slacking. So we had to get rid of him. We got another contractor. They didn't work out too. So, you know, it was a very long process. It took us actually a year and a half to find a really good team. And then right now we kind of just built up on it. Right now we have three contractor teams in Cornwall. You know, networking is, is very underestimated too. Networking helps a lot. If you're just talking to like your HVAC guy or electrical guy or your drywall guy, constantly ask them like, do you know a good electrician? If they're doing just drywall, be like, you know, a good electrician, do you know a good plumber? And, and that's how you get the referrals, right? So we, we kept doing that trial and error and uh, we eventually managed to build a pretty solid team out there, but a lot of pain. That's a very good point, though. Um, even when my you and I were investing in Windsor, so people probably know my story. My first contractor screwed me over. There's a little bit of a blind trust when you're in a in a, in a faraway place. That's the risk of long distance investing. Me and Mayu, when we bought our first property, we got I'm not going to name the contractor. Contractor went and did work, great job. Second property, not too bad. Third property, we had to let him go. Right. So, like as you were saying, your contractor might do well for the first couple of projects. But as soon as you see the slacking and you notice it's something that you can't fix, you, you got to let them go. I don't know if you remember, Mayu, we were trying to flip yeah, that yeah. property. The realtor went in and is like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> when you finish rattling it. I also think contractors almost have like a useful life, right? Where after a certain point of time, like if they are good, they're going to get discovered by a lot of people. And a lot of people will then overpower them until they get to that next hurdle. They got to grow out their own business and their own system so they can handle the influx of volume, right? For a moment in time, honestly, I thought it was me. I was like, man, like I keep like getting these contractors. Maybe I'm not doing like a good job of like, you know, managing <laughs> expectations, and, like communicating with them. And then like, like they end up like, you know, dropping the ball a little bit later. But I'm just like, I also realized that I think you can only find a gem for so long and, and hold on to it, right? I'm also curious that you went into Cornwall, you were your own realtor. I know the contract to struggle is definitely there, but like, how do you go? Because Cornwall is one of those areas where I might butcher my street names and I know a little bit about every single city for whatever reason, but I think it's like, if you're like South of second or something like that, or is it South of first, one of those streets, it's like pretty rough. Right. And then if you're uh, going, <laughs> I think it's East towards, like if I looked at the map, I would know this stuff, but if you're going a little bit East, then it gets rougher. But if you're going to the West side of that little like highway thing that goes down the middle of Cornwall, then you're in like a decent-ish area, right? So how did you go about figuring out like all of those intricacies, right? Because that's like, I, I struggled with that with Windsor for sure. And I'm assuming Cornwall is, Cornwall's a little bit more logical, it seems, but still a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. Um, uh, so working out there with my land surveying uh, uh, job, mm. you know, I was there for like almost four years working summers. And that's how I kind of figured out what areas are good, 
where we can, you know, where the hotels are, motels, Airbnbs, that little area that you're referring to, they actually call it French Harlem. Yeah, it's pretty rough, obviously, right? It's a very low income, but that's where you get the best deals. Us, we have one, just one triplex in that area. It's going really well. Actually, those tenants that we have in there are one of the best tenants that we have in Cornwall. So they pay on time. But other than that, like west of that highway area that you're talking about, it's called Riverdale. That's a very like poshy, rich area as well. But, you know, anything you get on that side is not going to cash flow. So it's driving around too, right? I mean, any city that you're going to be going and investing in, whether it's close to Toronto or not, you always want to do your due diligence, you know, drive the city. You can always tell which areas are rough. If the lawns are not made up, the front porches are falling apart, the houses are not painted. Obviously, those are some of the best deals that we as investors get. But at the same time, you have to take into consideration, is this whole street rough? Because if I buy this one house, yes, I'm getting a good deal. I fix it up. It's literally going to be the nicest house on the whole road. Is anybody else going to bring up this road, right? You kind of want to buy in areas where other people are investing too. And like the whole area is rising as a whole, rather than you're the sole person and you have the nicest house, you know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and I think it's cool that you say you, you spent the four summers out there and you touched on this earlier as well, the lack of hotels and Airbnbs and so on. So has your approach been Airbnbs or are you guys kind of staying on the long-term rental side? Yeah, we have. Uh, so we have, um, we have two Airbnbs now. One, one of our Airbnbs is, is in one of our fourplexes and it's working out really well. Just with the experience of summertime, it's always booked up in the summer. And then we just got a, a kind of like a cottage property. It's almost like a river, uh, siding on a river. We're kind of using that as a cottage. Uh, it literally just went live last week. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But on, on top of that, like we kind of developed that second property into somewhere where our family can go and enjoy it as well. So like for me, I'm like, you know, I'm going to make this really nice. I'm going to burn it. Property is going to be free pretty much. And then if it rents out great, if not, at least we have somewhere nice to, to kind of go. But yeah, we, we have dipped into the Airbnb market. We want to go a little bit more and do some more Airbnbs just because the experience with the first one has been going pretty good. And if this experience with the second one goes well as, as well, then we'll get a third and a fourth and, and see where that goes. What's Cornwall's main industries, right? Like why is there so much like hotel, motel, tourism, Airbnb, like, like very little like occupancy? Like why is that? There's a lot of infrastructure work that's going on in Cornwall. But the main thing that not a lot of people know is that there's warehouses in, in Cornwall that pretty much supply the whole Eastern Canada. So Loblaws has their Eastern Canada warehouse there, Shoppers, um, Walmart. So there's a lot of logistics, you know, pretty decent paying jobs out in Cornwall. So you have like some good tenants coming in. And then on top of that, it's, it's about an hour away from both Montreal and Ottawa. And, and that's the other thing that I was looking at when we invested in there. It's like, you know, Toronto's going up, Ottawa's going up, Montreal's going up. Eventually, people are going to start getting out of these high-priced cities or they'll be priced out. And COVID situation helped us because working from home gave the people opportunity to actually buy a house outside of their major city that they live in. Whether they're going to commute to work one day or two day a week, that kind of worked out in our favor a lot. So, you know, we, we did see a, a crazy appreciation happen in the past two years in Cornwall. With these Airbnbs, it's it's um it's not necessarily always what industries are there, right? It's like 
with my Sudbury Airbnb, I found like for the most random reasons people would be going through like, oh, like there's a wedding. I'm visiting friends. There's a game that's going on. Graduation. Um, just crossing and I need a place to stay. It's like the most random reasons. It's not always like worker. Sometimes some of it is work related. Um, but to your point, like summer seasons, I think in most cities, you would absolutely crush it. It's mainly the shoulder months where I haven't experienced my first shoulder month yet in Sudbury. So I'm not sure how that would go, but it'd be interesting to see how that fares out. Um, from a long distance point of view, the investing side, like buying a property, finding contractors, I would imagine it'd be easier than the operational side of the Airbnb. So what were some of the logistics in getting your Airbnb set up four hours away? How involved were you and how do you plan to scale it up if you were super involved throughout the process? Initially, we were very involved. Like uh, right now, my, my brother-in-law and my wife, they're pretty much running the Airbnb business where they're doing all the communication. Um, cleaners, we had a really good cleaner initially. Um, we found a better team of cleaners, which are more professional that actually deal with uh, a bunch of Airbnbs in that area. The cleaner is probably one of the most important things that you can, you can get for your Airbnb. They have to be reliable. Like our first cleaner was just a, a one person, right? So like if she was sick, we were kind of in trouble. Uh, you know, it's not like we can just get in the car, drive half an hour and clean the unit. So that's why we pivoted to finding a, a more professional company with, with multiple people on their payroll so that if one's sick, at least they have backup cleaners. Um, handyman, we've, you know, it's just networking. We found a couple of handyman, plumbers, electrician, whatever you need. They're kind of on call for us right now. They're actually part of our main contracting team. Um, so, you know, they're pretty open to like, they know our, our business in and out right now. So they know like if we give them a call and say, hey, the Airbnb unit is having issues with its, you know, the sink is leaking or it's plugged or whatever. They'll say, okay, I'll go and take care of it. And yeah, you know, you, you put a, a coded lock on there. They have their own code. Uh, you know, it sends you an alert when they enter the unit, when they lock it up. So it's it, technology has made it very easy to go hands off. Uh, so, so you started off with like single families, duplexes, triplexes, and it sounds like you went into the fourplex space. Are you planning to scale up on that side or are you planning to continue? I know this is usually a question we like, we like ask at the end, but you know, looking forward, are you scaling up within the multifamily space or do you see more potential in the Airbnb and cottage space? We're, we're looking more at multifamily right now. Uh, we recently, um, just locked down an eightplex in Cornwall. Um, so we're looking to scale up and get kind of get into the bigger buildings out there. The problem with Cornwall is there's not a lot of big buildings, right? And if there is, it's like the, the you know, the higher tiered investors that have their hands in these mm-hmm. already, they already have the connections. So for us, it's just networking to get ourselves in that group as well. So they know that, hey, you know, us small players would also wouldn't mind buying a 30 unit or 40 unit, but you know, it's just the relationship building that has to go into play first for the Airbnb side. Like I said, if, if it turns out to continue to go well for us, we're going to scale that up too. Um, just looking for more cash flow, right? I mean, obviously the Airbnb is always cash flow higher than long-term buying homes. Banks don't like hearing that you have an Airbnb, but for us, like the fourplex really worked out because three of the units is long-term tenants. And one of them is, is an Airbnb. So let's talk about how you structure that actually, because uh, great opportunity since you brought that up. How are you getting around on the financing side for the Airbnb properties? Um, how have you guys kind of, you know, structured that portfolio? Cause I know it is a challenge that a lot of people ask me about. <laughs> you're, you're the broker, Mike. <laughs> you tell us how it's done. 
Um, for the fourplex, uh, we got a traditional mortgage under that, but this was way before we we started implementing an Airbnb um, within it, right? When we refied, the broker just looked at the three units that were renting and just considered the fourth unit as vacant right now. So they just, you know, kind of use market rents for that four unit to when we refied it. I'm not sure if that's the way that brokers should be doing it or is allowed, but yeah. you tell me. <laughs> Maybe not on the podcast, but yeah. <laughs> I actually have some coaching students who've looked at Cornwall before. Um, I've looked at it over the last couple of years, varying levels of interest, right? But like, what are the numbers that you guys are seeing in, in today's market? What's the strategies that work out in Cornwall? I don't think we've had a guest on here before that's invested in Cornwall, um, or at least who's done it like as in-depth as you have. So yeah, I'm curious to see like what you guys are seeing out there right now. Long-term buying holds work really well. You can still burr properties. Um, we've noticed a significant slowdown on the purchasing of properties like the entire Canada has. Um, so it's very hard to kind of calculate, uh, you know, the ARV of a property now because you don't know if it's going to continue to decline or not. But so far, it's been working good. I mean, and, I mean the price point to get into Cornwall is still cheaper than um, other places. So, you know, that's the advantage that Cornwall has. It's just. And how much are you looking at? Like if we were to choose like an example or, or even your most recent project, right? Like how much would like a duplex or a triplex go for? What's like the price per unit and how much do they usually rent for? So duplexes, you're probably looking at 250 to 350 now. And rental wise, like a two bedroom, you can probably get 1300. One bedroom, you could probably get 1,000, 1100. Really depends on your finishes, how high end you want to go or not. It depends on the area for sure where you're investing. But right now, like price per unit, you're probably looking at, you know, it, it, it really depends. You're probably looking at anywhere from a hundred grand to 160 per unit, depending on. That's like unrenovated or are you saying like 160 would be maybe like ARV or. Unrenovated. Really? Yeah. The price, the prices have gone up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, yeah. like on the market, you'll see a bunch of fourplexes up and you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know, mid June. 2022 fourplex you, you're seeing them for going up for 550 isn't it crazy to think you could have gone in with single family homes at the same price as price per unit just like two years ago and that's not what cornwall is with like all of these markets right yeah, yeah. <laughs> how's the cap rates on your uh, multi-building your your eight unit there that you you said you have it under contract or you're closing on it what, what's it's the cap rate? yeah it's on the contract cap rate is is not that good because uh you know no matter what you buy in Cornwall, you're always going to have very, very low paying tenants, significantly lower than like other smaller cities that we've looked at. Um, like, for example, right now where we were just looking at a fourplex where people are paying 500 bucks for a three bedroom uh, and a two bedroom. So, you know, right now you can't even get a single bedroom uh, rental for like 600. You're kind of acquiring these tenants where you're taking them and over. Never gonna leave. Exactly. <laughs> and they tell you that too, right? When you're walking through the properties, the tenants are telling you, they're like, so what are you guys planning on doing to this property? And we're like, oh, you know, we're probably going to renovate it. They're like, oh, well, you know, cause like I'm never leaving. <laughs> right? so it's, it's, it's definitely, a, um, I don't know. You, you kind of got to be become really good at negotiating, kind of connecting with tenants uh, on a personal level and just, you know, just trying to work with them. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and we've had a bunch of experience with that so far where we're, we're just doing cash for keys with tenants, but you can't just apply, go up to them and say, Hey, I'll give you this much. If you leave They kind of, we find that tenants take that, uh, you know, negatively sometimes. So, you, you know, you got to get to know them. What do you like? What do you don't like? Whatever. And then from there, you can slowly start the conversation of cash for keys and maybe down the road in a few months, you can get them out. Yeah, I think Cornwall, similar to Windsor, because um, I, I remember Cornwall back in 2020, I think, was like fourplex for like 380. There was this one guy on Kijiji who was trying to sell it, sell this one fourplex for freaking months. And like it was ridiculous. And like everyone knew about the seal. And the problem in Cornwall, similar to Windsor, is that it's kind of like a, it's been a very investor friendly city for a very long time. A lot of investors have started off in Cornwall. And as a result, it's also a very, uh, renter oriented city as well, where you have like lifelong renters, people that like have no intention of ever kind of buying a property. Um, and as a result of that, you have properties where tenants are paying you way low on their rents. Right. Um, yeah. which is definitely a downside to, to kind of deal with. But I guess when you go into a property like that, how are you guys buying these properties? Because you have no, like the entire strategy to Burr is, is dependent on, you know, getting some vacancies. That's true. It's one side of it, but also like, if you're buying at, at 110 a unit, um, you might be bleeding on the buy if you're not essentially getting those vacancies, right? So how are you guys kind of assessing those properties? Absolutely. So almost every property we've bought, actually, we're, we're, we're bleeding on them initially just because of, of the income that's coming in from the tenants, right? So it's, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's just experience. Like, uh, you know, we'll take a look at the tenants, we'll evaluate and see if cash for keys is possible. Obviously, when you're looking at a tenant, if it's an older person and you can kind of get the uh, rent roll and see when they moved in there, right? If it's an older person that's been there for 15, 20, 25 years, you're not getting them out, right? No matter what you do. But if you have like a younger tenant, younger couple, maybe up and coming family, you know that you have a better chance to get them out. So we definitely take a look at the tenant profile. If we see all the tenants are older, retired we're probably going to not purchase that property just because we we don't want to bleed for like five, 10 years, right? It doesn't make sense from an investor's mm-hmm. point of view. You want to go in, renovate, burn it, whatever you need to do, and then jump on the next property. We're not there to put in our money and keep it on hold for a long time. And how does that tie in with the eight unit? What attracted you to that? Was it fully tenanted? You mentioned the rents were low. What was the opportunity you saw there? The opportunity we saw is purpose-built. It's very hard to find purpose buildings in Cornwall. They're all kind of Frankenstein together that have become a triplex or fourplex. Uh, So it's a purpose-built brick building. One unit was vacant. You know, we kind of put it into our agreement that we're allowed to start cash for keys negotiations with the tenants prior to closing. And the seller agreed to that. So we started doing that already. We pushed the closing to, to fairly far. So we can, you know, kind of increase our rate of vacancies by the time we close on it. So that's another strategy that, that somebody, you know, you guys should use. You know, we evaluated all that, looked at the tenant profile, uh, like the building, like the size of the units, calculated the ARV uh, just based on our experience with the smaller multis and, and saw that it's probably a good deal to lock down. And we wanted to get into the, like the bigger multifamily space. So that was like one of the other reasons why we got this one as well, just to add it to our portfolio. And what are the kind of cap rates you've been seeing in Cornwall? Um, not on acquisition because there's a little bit of potential that always gets built in. And these multis is just the reality of it. 
but on exit, when you turn over, let's say 50, 60, 70% of the units, what is the analysis that you kind of done um, to determine what the value of the property would be after? So with the smaller multis, you know, the only thing that we can look at is comparables, right? Because that's what the appraiser is going to look at anyways. Um, we're pretty informed of all the properties that are buying and selling, except for the off-market ones, obviously. But, you know, we have an appraiser that we use out there all the time. We've, we've found out recently that most banks use this appraiser as well. So even with the off-market properties that we have, he knows the value that he appraised our other fourplex or other triplex or whatnot. So he'll take that into consideration when he's appraising new property. In terms of, in terms of cap rate, it really depends, you know. Cornwall is a very weird place where like you think you know it and then the property on this side of the road gets appraised for way less than you you thought, right? So the cap rates that we're kind of looking at right now is like maybe five to 7%. Five to 7%, I guess 5% being in those better areas and 7% being in, in kind of rough areas. But I'm also right. assuming the larger multis are probably in the rougher areas, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, not necessarily. So the one that we just picked up is in a decent area. Most of the duplex triplexes are in the rougher areas. Oh, that's pretty <laughs> interesting. Cool. All right, Heron. So I think at this point in our podcast, I think we, we've covered uh, quite a bit about how you got started and we definitely deep dived into the Cornwall, Cornwall market, which is great because it's a market that Surprisingly, we haven't talked about us. I'm like missing a guest that maybe we had on before, but I feel like we've just never really broken down that market. So that was good. It's good to understand everything about it. Um, usually at this point in the podcast, we like to ask our guests two questions. The first is, what's the major risk that you see for a newer investor in today's market? Oh man, there's, there's so many risks that I see in today's market. Um, government intervention, uh, rising interest rates, obviously. Um, not being able to calculate the ARV properly now because the market is just kind of up and in flux. Um, there's a lot of risk. The one advice that I would give somebody is that if you're just starting out, find somebody that's already doing it, partner with them, get to learn everything that they do, whether it's the renovations, how they find the property, what are the expenses? Because like material has gone up so much in the past year as well, right? You'll calculate one, one thing for what your unit cost is going to be to renovate. And then by the end, you, you see what the total is. And it's like, you've gone up maybe 30, 40% over budget, not because you change the renovation, but that's just the way the material costs went up, right? So that, that would be one, one advice that I would give to any newbie investor is just partner with somebody that's already doing it learn from them and then start off with a smaller like duplex or triplex. Don't go deep into like a bigger building because if you make a mistake when you're deep into a bigger building, that's it, right? Your, your capital is gone and then you're kind of knocked out of the game. Right. right. Cause just as, just as much as cap rates can help us essentially pull out capital it can definitely also increase your risk as well. Right. So that makes sense. So, so what, what are your goals like five years from now? How do you see your business essentially evolving? Um, will you still be in Cornwall or? Um, <laughs> probably not still, still in Cornwall. Uh, you know, um, we're actually started looking into the, into the U S as well, just because I, I personally, I don't like where, you know, the government decisions that's happening in Canada. So we started looking international, we actually bought a few lots in Belize too, this past year, you know, it's trying to, trying to just expand on other places that have cash or kind of let leverage the risk from the Canadian side 
buy somewhere where it's a little bit different. So like, you know, if, if something happens within the Canadian side and everything just drops, at least you're in another market where it's kind of stable or not, or is going to react differently to market conditions. Very interesting. And something that Mike Van Hoot actually talked quite a bit about. <laughs> it's just, you know, if you're, if you're making all these profits in the Canadian real estate market and reinvesting in the Canadian real estate market, and then the market tanks, do you really make any profit versus if you made the profit here and you take it and you invest like you did, it looks like in, in Belize or even Americas or like, you know, somewhere else, you're kind of protecting that profit, right? Yeah, absolutely. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta mitigate your risk and lessen it. Right. So I don't know, five years from now, hopefully, you know, uh, financially free, uh, you know, the goal is to have as much free time as possible. Uh, you know, I want to go to like my kids events, whether they have a concert or whatever, I want to be there for them at school. Uh, you know, I don't want to miss any of that. And I was part of the reason why I got into investing. Cause when I was uh, working from home, um, my second child was born and I could see him like walk and crawl. And I'm like, man, I missed all of this with my first kid because I was working 60, 70 hour weeks. Right. So it was, it was a huge eye opener for me, which was a huge driver for me as well to kind of, okay, let's, let's pivot and let's, you know, let's change my goals and, and what I'm trying to do so that I have time to actually spend with my kids. Yeah. That sounds like a very strong why. So it definitely will uh, keep you going. I don't think we covered this. Um, I think we should mention it now. And Maya and I will also talk about it on the preamble, but highlight how many properties and units are you at now? That should have been the first question we asked. <laughs> So we're at 14 properties, soon to be 15, 28 units, soon to be 36 with the Aplex that we're going to buy. That's phenomenal, man. And that's all between you and uh, your partner, right? Yeah, uh, me, my dad, and my brother-in-law. That's amazing. Keeping it uh, in the family. Haran, really appreciate you jumping on, man. Uh, shared a ton of knowledge. Uh, very eye-opening. Love what you're doing right now. And you know what? A lot of people are in your position such that They've started off with a property that built up an equity, but they've just, the difference is they never took any risks and never did anything with it, right? Like you're a living example that shows that if you have debt equity in your property and you become a savvy, sophisticated investor, you can literally buy yourself to financial freedom. So kudos to you, man. Very exciting to see what you do in the multifamily space. I'm sure you're going to shake things up. If people want to connect with you, chat with you, learn more about your story, how could they do so? Everybody can always reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, you know. Uh, they have two corps on Instagram, Nest Investments and NRDD Properties. So you can always reach out, DM me on there. Yeah, you know, reach out. I love talking to investors. I love networking. Even if it's a newbie, I love like, you know, kind of guiding them because, you know, when we first started, you know, that was never the case, right? I mean, there's there's podcasts when we first started in the States, but ne nothing really Canadian related. And thanks to you guys, uh, you know, there's... Canadian content now out there for Canadian investors, which, which really helps listen to podcast episodes. You know, you guys alone have given me so much information and knowledge from when I first started listening to, uh, you know, and there's a ton of other really, really good podcasts out there, Canadians that just give amazing information. So just, you know, take it all in, absorb it and, and take action. Appreciate that. Thank you for the ego boost too. We're wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. If you guys enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support this podcast. I'll bring great guests like Heron out here to share his story as well. Um, and until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.